Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this, this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. And if we have not met yet, would you do me a favor? Would you introduce yourself to me uh, after this service? I'd love uh, to get to know you. And to bring you up to speed, we are in a series um, in the book of Joshua. And what I told everybody else when we started was that Joshua is an intense book. We know that now, right? It's intense. It's filled with amazing exploits and drama and things that are exciting, but also things that are pretty disturbing. Um, we've definitely uh, learned that as we've gone through this. But also, it teaches us that God is in control, he keeps his promises, and he loves his people. There is, as one commentator said, a, a pervasive optimism filled with joy throughout, throughout the book. And, and we see that as observers of, of, of history as we go through, through this book. And today, we're in a, in a passage that teaches us about presumption. What is presumption? What does it mean to presume or to be presumptuous. One way to say it is that to presume is to consider something to either be true or false, even when you don't have all the facts. And being presumptuous has a way of kind of undermining any relationship that you might have. If you or the other person acts presumptuous towards the other person, that relationship doesn't really stand a chance, right? I mean, if, you, if, if, if I decide that certain things are true about you that aren't true about you, and you say, no, 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 you don't know me, I mean, and I say, I don't care, this is what I've decided. We're not going to get very far in a relationship, right? Or if somebody is presumptuous about your generosity and, and really they're taking advantage of you and it's not really about you at all, they're not really interested in a relationship with you at all, they're interested in, in themselves and what they can get, right? So being presumptuous destroys relationships. It is incredibly dangerous to presume in any relationship, but it is especially dangerous to presume in a relationship with God. You know, there, there are a lot of thoughtful people who have uh, rejected Christianity because of presumption. Uh, presumption. They, they assume that Christianity is false without having all of the facts. And, and I see a lot of people who, who get interested in, in Christianity and even try it for a little bit, but then they say, you know what? I tried Christianity. It didn't really work for me, so I'm out. The problem is presumption. And you know what? There are a lot of us Christians living subpar Christian lives because of presumption. You ever see, you ever see other Christians who seem to be totally filled with the fruit of the Spirit? It's like they're just, I mean, just glowing with love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And you're like, what in the world is wrong with me? Why is that not my life? 
How come I have so little joy? How come I have no confidence? And, and maybe even at times you ask yourself, you know what, am I even a Christian at all? Usually what's underneath all that is presumption. Our story this morning is, is a case study in presumption. And I, I want to give you a little, like, like a quick little recap to put the story in context. And then we'll draw out some, some lessons that will help us avoid the destruction of presumption. And um, you can take notes using the outline uh, in your bulletin if that helps you. So here's the story. Right, right before what we just read was the Battle of Jericho. You remember we talked about that last week. And it really wasn't much of a battle at all, right? God told them, I want you to march around the walls. I want you to blast the trumpets. And then when I tell you to shout, you shout. That was it. That was their battle plan. They did what God said, and the fortified cities came tumbling down that the walls came tumbling down. Now, God explicitly told them not to plunder the city. Everything in the city was devoted to destruction because it was a curse. Israel was not to take wealth for themselves. Why? Because the conquest of the promised land was not about getting wealth. Now, when other nations, when other nations um, go out to conquer land, it was always about getting stuff. But God said, this is not what the conquest of the promised land is it about. It is not about getting stuff. So I do not want you to take anything at all for yourselves. But verse 1, it tells us that a prominent man named Achan disobeyed, and he took some of the loot, some of the spoils of victory. Now we see that in verse 1, but Joshua does not learn that until verse 10. So they're coming off this great victory at Jericho, and Joshua and the people are all confident, but the problem is they've become self-confident, and they're high-fiving everyone, saying, we're awesome. The promised land, pff, we got this. We can do Jericho, and we can do Ai also, no problem. So Joshua sends spies to Ai. They check it out. They come back. They say, you know what? This is a piece of cake. I mean, it's small. It's small compared to, to Jericho. No sweat. In fact, everything's in ruins over there already. It'll be easy. Just send a few thousand men. They don't need God for this, right? And so Joshua sends 3,000 men. Do you remember last week when we talked about Jericho? The whole focus was on the ark of God, the presence of God. Not here. What happens? It was not just an upset, it was a blowout. It's such a bad blowout that the Israel, I mean, they went running with the tails between their legs. They sink into fear and despair. And Joshua tears his clothes. He falls face down before the ark of the Lord, which represents the presence of God. He throws dust on his head, which was a picture of death. And he lies there until the evening. It's a posture of total despair, despair unto death. Finally, after uh, who knows how many hours, Joshua prays, and he starts kind of venting towards God, and he says, why in the world did you bring us here to destroy us? Why in the world would you let something like this happen? The other armies will hear about this, about our defeat, and they will wipe us out, and it will ruin, on top of all that, it will ruin your reputation, but it is all your fault. 
not only is Joshua despairing, he is angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God? I think if we're honest, most of us have been at some point or another. And what is happening usually um, is that we're being presumptuous. We presume, and the bottom falls out, we get angry at God, and we get filled with despair. Now in the next verses that we'll look at next week, God, God responds to Joshua. And he says, what, you, what are you doing on the floor? Stand up, get up. Israel sinned, and I can't go with you until you destroy the things devoted to destruction. And that's the story. And so now the question is this. What are the lessons that can be learned here? How do we avoid the destruction of presumption? Well, we need to remember four things. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that we need to remember is this. God knows everything we don't. Amen? <laughs> don't we forget that so easily? God knows everything we don't. Not only do we not know everything, we don't even know a fraction of anything. But God knows everything. He is all-knowing. God knew about Achan's sin. Guess what? Joshua did not. And Joshua presumed that if, if they could take Jericho, then, then we could take little AI lickety split. But God knew something Joshua did not. Joshua should have asked God about AI, right? And here's the deal. There was nothing stopping him. And in fact, the pattern was God, God was speaking to him audibly at that time, speaking audibly to Joshua. And then if you, if you go back and you read through, you can see that the Lord was telling Joshua exactly what to do, how to cross the Jordan, how to march around the, the, the city. God is directing Joshua at every step. But after the victory in Jericho, God didn't tell him to go to Ai. And Joshua doesn't ask him, what do you want me to do? And if he had... The Lord would have told him about Achan's sin, and, and now we see that Joshua's confidence is presumption and not faith at all, not faith in God at all. Now, here's the deal. To avoid presumption, we need to remember that God knows everything and we don't. Uh, the Associated Press ran a story of Andre Francois Raffrey. And 30 years earlier, at the age of 47, he worked out a real estate deal with Jean Calment. She was 90 years old. And the deal was that he would pay her $500 each month until her death in order to secure ownership of the apartment in Arles, France. Now, as you know, this is a common practice with the intent, anyway, of benefiting both the buyers and the seniors on a fixed income. Unfortunately for Raffrey, Jean Calment became the world's oldest living person at 120 years old. She outlived Raffrey, who died at the age of 77. Over those 30 years, at $500 a month, he paid $148,000 for an apartment he never lived in. And on top of that, according to the contract, Raffrey's survivors had to continue payment until Miss Kelman dies. So any 
investment, in any investment, we do have to presume, don't we? And sometimes we get burned because we don't know everything, but it's dangerous to presume, but it is especially dangerous. It is automatically dangerous when it comes to presuming in our investment in eternity. And so I want to ask you something. In all sincerity, have you rejected the idea of a loving God, whether you're a Christian or not, because Christians struggle with this also. Have you rejected the idea of a loving God because of all of the evil and the suffering in the world? All of the deaths from hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and shootings and war and terrorism. You know, it's easy, you know, I mean, if, if I were to say, if I were to say, you know what? I don't know of any good reason why God would allow evil and suffering in the world. Therefore, I reject the idea of a loving God. If I think that way, you know what I'm doing? I am presuming that since I can't think of any good reason, then no good reason exists, right? But wouldn't we agree that if there is a God that he would probably know a little bit more than we do? Maybe a lot more than we do? And if he does know more than we do, then isn't it at least possible that God could have a reason that we ha just haven't thought of yet? To avoid the destruction of presumption, the first thing to remember is that God knows everything and we don't. I think we're going to have to remind each other of that on a regular basis because we forget that on a regular basis. The second thing to remember is this. God wants us to use our resources, but to trust in him. But we regularly trust our own resources. God, will, they will let you down. Don't trust in your resources. Trust me, he says. So this victory that we saw last week, this victory in Jericho, was this amazing miracle. God let Israel participate, but it was God, right, who won the victory. Israel's part was to simply trust in the Lord and do what God told them to do, uh, and he did the rest. But they immediately forget, and they begin to trust in themselves. The spies come back from Ai, and they say, we don't need the whole army. We just need like two or 3,000 men. It'll be easy. But what happens? They get spanked. They get, I mean, they are sent running. They're fleeing for their lives. Why? Presumption. They're acting like they won the victory at Jericho. They didn't need God for this. I don't know about you, but I do the same thing. My family, my wife knows more than anybody else that there are times when I preach, when I have to preach, where I just feel totally weak. Now, I got to tell you something, for those who don't know me, growing up I was deathly shy. And I had, remember I had to give an oral book report on a book that I probably didn't read. 
I was good at making things up, but I didn't have to like give an oral presentation to everybody. And I remember I barely choked it. I'd rather get beat up than have to do any public speaking whatsoever. And then what does God lead me to do? It's ridiculous. I got tricked into this whole deal. But yeah, there are times I preach, I feel, just feel weak, and sometimes, sometimes I actually trust God to use me in my weakness. And then when I trust him, I see God do amazing things despite my weakness. Now, I think Matt Nix and Tom and, and Brock, those of us who've preached here, we've all felt like this, like, oh man, I don't know, this is, this is a bomb, I don't know if God can, do. I don't feel very confident um, and, and for whatever reason, we don't trust ourselves, we trust the message, we choke, you know, a message, a message out, and then we see God do amazing things, and we're like, what is going on? Oh, yeah, the power of the gospel. <laughs> it's God's work. He's doing, you know, he's doing the work. And so it, it's, it's tempting after, you know, all of a sudden we're surprised and something awesome happens and people respond. They're, they're, they, they genuinely like confess something that they're struggling with and they're asking for help. They genuinely want to grow in their, their love for God and, 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 and obedience to God and deliver him. After you just preached a message that you thought was like horrible, you're thinking, well, maybe I am awesome. You know, maybe I'm better than I thought. Shoot. You know, the next one's going to be a snap too, I'm sure. And even though it might not necessarily be like a conscious thing like that, that subconscious, those subconscious thoughts can kind of work themselves in. And when that happens, we get defeated because of presumption. God wants us to use our resources, but not to trust in our resources. He wants us to use our resources that he's so generously given to us and then to trust in him. It's not about the resources, it's about God. So let me ask you, how about you? I mean, it's not just pastors who do God's work. You're all doing God's work. Not just in ministry here, but, but I mean in your home, at your work, at school, in the community. And so what I want to ask you here this morning, evaluate your lives right now. Ask yourselves, is there a place in, in, uh, in, in my life, a, a situation or a relationship or a, a problem where I feel defeated, I feel overwhelmed, I feel discouraged? Is it possible that you are trusting in your own resources. See, one of two things happens when we trust in our own resources. Uh, we either become arrogant, I got this, or become absolutely hopeless because we know just how you know, weak, weak we are. And yet, the reason we're so upset is because we're still trusting our own resources and we know that they're not good enough. And we get all worked up and anxious and we forget about God, who is the one who has the whole world in his hands. So whether you're arrogant and cocky and overconfident or whether you're feeling like defeated and hopeless, the root problem is the same, presumption. To avoid presumption, the second thing we need to remember is that God wants us to use our resources but not trust them, trust in him. Third thing to remember is this. It's not about me. We all need to remember that. It's not about me. 
Joshua ends his prayer like this. It says, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and they will wipe out our name from the earth. And then what will you do for your own great name? Now, Joshua is despairing. He is angry with God. He has forgotten God's promises. He is convinced Israel will be wiped out. Remember, it's presumption right here. They presumed before they didn't need God. Now they're presuming they're going to be totally be wiped out. He's in now he's blaming God. Their name will be wiped out. But then his prayer ends with the real issue. And the real issue we see in his words when he says, what will God do for his great name? The real issue is this, that it's not about our name. It's about God's name. Jesus knew this real issue when he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name right? Jesus is saying that the Christian's highest purpose, that the Christian's greatest desire is to see your heavenly Father's name treated as holy, to see God gain a great reputation throughout the world to bless the world. And so the glory of God is to be our greatest passion. The glory of God should be our greatest desire. The glory of God should be our greatest purpose, our greatest delight, the greatest driving force in our lives. So it's important for us to value it. We hear something like that, we're like, amen, I get it. And we agree with it. But ask yourself, is that my greatest purpose, my greatest driving force in my life? You've got you to evaluate your heart and life. To not evaluate your heart and life is to be presumptuous. So my encouragement to you is to ask God, show me in my life how I'm not putting your purposes as my highest purpose in my life. He will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer. He will give you a diagnosis. And then the solution is always the gospel. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. The problem beneath all of my problems is that I presume it's all about my name. So, I told you how um, I never wanted to do any kind of public speaking. And ever since I started, I would have these dreams. All of them were like in the same category, very similar but different situations. I would have dreams about how I was a guest preacher somewhere I was preaching for my father-in-law. I was preaching at a guest church, or I'm preaching here, or I'm officiating a wedding somewhere, and I cannot find my notes anywhere. <laughs> and I am frantic, and I am running around, and the music starts playing. Josh starts singing. They're praying for things, or the bride is walking down the aisle, and I can't find my notes, and I got to get on stage without my notes. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm stressing out. And it feels so real to me. I'm like, I don't know. Like, and I, I'm in my dream, I'm thinking, I wish this was a dream. <laughs> it's a nightmare. And then on a couple of different occasions, that nightmare got even worse because I realized I wasn't wearing any pants. <laughs> That was a nightmare for everybody else, too. <laughs> it is brutal. 
And then I realize, you know, it reminds me, in real life, deep down, I don't want to look bad in front of a bunch of people. You know, so much so that I, that I dream about it. Thank God it hasn't been as much lately. But whenever I get anxious, whenever I get angry because I can't control the circumstances or the people that are inconsiderately robbing me of respect, I sometimes realize that my problem is that it's all about me. It's all about my name. So how about you? Is there, reflect on your life, your heart. Is there an area in your life where you're despairing? An area of your life where you're angry? Or maybe it's both. Maybe like Joshua and me, you're in a situation where it feels like the the bottom is about to fall out, fall out, or it is falling out, or it has fallen out. It might be a relationship with somebody that you considered was close to you. It might be a health problem, your health problem, or a health problem with somebody that is dear to you. It could be a problem at, at work. It could be a financial problem. Look, I, I don't have a simple, pithy little solution for you that'll make everything all better. But I can give you a starting point. And the starting point is this. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. No matter what is going on, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the third thing to remember. It's, it's, it's not about me. Now, there's some three really good points right there, right? Wonderful points. Good stuff. But they are nothing. They are useless. They are powerless without one more lesson, the most important lesson. And they only become valuable and useful with this lesson. I want to say in setting this up, is that it's, this is going to sound weird at first, but hang in there with me. Our greatest need is not change. Our greatest need is forgiveness. It's our greatest need is forgiveness. Now here's the deal. When we realize that our greatest need is forgiveness, we will change. And it won't just be behavior modification where we're just kind of polishing the outside of the cup and looking better to everybody else because we have our act together and we're good little Christian boys and girls. But we start to transform from the inside out. We have the Spirit of Christ living within us. We remember who we are in Jesus. And we have clarity on our identity and how we were given our identity through Jesus. That we are, are, are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and He loved us so much. He purchased us, not because of anything that we've done, but simply out of sheer grace. We realize we were desperate for forgiveness, 
And he gave it to us. And so when we see that, when we realize that, we begin to change and our hearts get filled with love, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and self-control. That's our greatest need. So our last lesson is this. Remember that we need the real Joshua. This is pointing us to the real Joshua. These aren't just moral, moralistic lessons here. Look how they succeeded. Be like that. Do that. Look how they messed up. Don't do that. You're dismissed. That's, that's void of any power at all. See, our, our failure in the previous lessons, and we all mess up in those previous lessons, right? We forget them all the time. And our failure in the previous lessons proves that we really do need the real Joshua. See, the, the, the big promise of the Old Testament is, is God's promise to send a deliverer who will bring his people into the promised land and give them peace from their enemies. And God sends a string of deliverers like Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Deborah and Samson and David and so many more. But none of them could really ultimately do it because all of them were sinners too. All of them were guilty of sin like presumption. All of them were were sinners who themselves were in need of a deliverer. And so God's people kept looking for the deliverer, the promised Messiah that would ultimately save them. And when we open the first page of the first gospel, we read that an angel appeared to Joseph and said, Mary will have a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which in Hebrew and Greek is the same name as Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord is our salvation. The angel said, you are to give him the name Joshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the one who will lead his people into the real promised land. He is the one who will give the peace and freedom from all of our enemies, including evil and death and and eternal judgment. Jesus come to us and he lives in complete and total obedience to God. He never presumed. I mean, we hear him say things like, I don't know, only my father knows about that. I mean, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. But as fully human, there were things that he did not know, and he never presumed. He simply trusted in his father, even when he did not have all of the answers. Even when there were things that in his humanity he did not know. And the gospel is that he did that for us as our representative and gave us credit for it. And Jesus never trusted in his own resources. He lived a life of perfect trust in God. He said, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what my father wants me to say. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing. This is really amazing. Here is God in the flesh, and he lived in total dependence upon God. Why? He did it for us as our representative. And then he gives us credit for it out of sheer grace. 
And even though we know everything is about Jesus, Jesus did not live as if everything was about him. When the time came for him to be crucified, Jesus said, now my heart is deeply troubled, but what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No, it was for this hour that I have come. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' passion was for the Father's glory. And he lived for, for the glory of God's name for us. And then he went to the cross and he died for us. He died for all of our sin. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And one day he will return to lead us into the fulfillment of the promised land where we have perfect peace. And you need to understand the promised land is not limited to heaven. It is the, the kingdom of God. And then in all its fullness, things are finally set right. All of the wrongs will be set right and life will be as it should be. Where we're at peace with God and peace with each other. At the moment that you trust in him, your sins are washed away forever. But here's the cool thing. See, a lot of us think, Oh, man, look at this slate, all these horrible things that, I, that he did on the slate. I, I, I need that wipe clean. And you know what? Jesus does wipe it, wipe it clean. And then we think, oh, I need to put all my good works on there and fill, fill it up. But God demands perfection. Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And so, whoa, 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 we don't want to put that stuff on there because it is, it is just spoiled with sin and sinful motives. And so we don't get just a, a clean slate because that's not good enough for us. We need Jesus' righteousness. Our, our, our slate is wiped clean, but then Jesus' righteousness is put on our slate as if it were our righteousness. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It sounds too good to be true, right? But that's the gospel. And then here's what happens when you realize that. Jesus begins to work in you, and he begins to work through you in amazing ways as you trust in him. Okay, let me just be real with you for a second. Oftentimes, oftentimes, and this is something that I think the sooner we accept it, um, the more at peace we will be. And it's this. Often when God works in you and through you, he does it in the same way that he worked in and through his perfect son whom he loved. And it will include weakness. It will include suffering. Sometimes intense suffering. And it can even include death. But you know what Jesus tells us? He tells us, through it all, I am with you. And I want you to go through this for the glory of the Father's name. So how about you? Have you trusted in the real Joshua? Sometimes we forget to trust the real Joshua. 
And we need to remind each other. That's what community is for. We need to remind each other. Um, in fact, just yesterday, I got a text. If I can find it real quickly. I got a text from um, Tom Levine. And one of the things we did in the men's breakfast is we wrote down prayer requests and we exchanged them. This is something um, Pastor Matt Nix started in his crowded house. And so Ming brought it to the men's breakfast. And we wrote down prayer requests and how we, could, how we need prayer and then we exchanged papers and, and, then, and then we're encouraged to, to call each other or text each other. And um, uh, Tom Levine sent me a text let him, he let me know that he was praying for me, and he sent me a passage from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, and it says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. He was reminding me where true life really comes from. He was reminding me because he knows that I'm just like everybody else and I forget. We need each other to remind each other of where true life comes from, where true purpose comes from. So I'm asking you, have you trusted the real Joshua? Or if you're still presuming that if there is a God, you think maybe you're good enough to be okay with him. It doesn't work that way. And it's dangerously presumptuous. You're making an assumption without all the facts. The only way is to trust the real Joshua. For those of you who have trusted in the, in the real Joshua, can, can we remind each other that, that none of us can make it on our, on our own? That, that our strength, our resources, is a horrible substitute for God's strength and his resources. Because the truth is this. We're not only saved by the gospel, we're transformed by the gospel. We not only enter the promised land by grace through faith, we make all progress, all progress in the promised land by grace through faith. So we need to keep leading each other to the cross, leading each other to trust King Jesus, the real Joshua. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, you are so incredibly patient with us. We, we so often reject your goodness, reject your grace, reject your mercy, uh, reject your way of, of life because we presume that we have a better way our own way, and then we get burned, and then we do it all over again. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, that you would give us eyes to see your goodness, that you would give us eyes to see your glory, 
that you would give us eyes to see your grace. Fill our hearts with deep appreciation for you and your love for us. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a desire just to worship you, to live for you and for your glory, knowing that it is the best thing for us. God, and I, I pray, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that has not put their faith and trust in you, that that you would open their hearts, that you would open their eyes, that you would give them the gift of faith, that that you would give them the courage that it takes to, to follow you. Knowing that you are the one who saves them and that you are worthy of our lives. God, for the rest of us, help us as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Help us not to be distracted. Help our minds to not wander. Help us to take advantage of this time that we have right here, right now, to freely, with no inhibitions, to confess our lack of faith, to confess um, the actions uh, that we take because of our lack of of faith because we don't believe that you and your way are, are good enough. God, I pray that, that uh, your grace would, would give us the ability to be brutally honest with you about our sin. And God, we pray that we can help each other and encourage each other and remind each other that we belong to you. That maybe we forgot who we are and that we've been purchased with the blood of Christ, and that Jesus is our king and he is worthy of loyalty. God, fill our hearts with a desire to be loyal to you. We pray this in your name.